Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, if you're just joining with us today, we are in the middle of a message series entitled Love God, Love Family, and uh, even Love Enemy. And we're going to talk a little bit next week about what it means to truly love enemy. And last week, if you were here, we uh, talked a lot about what it truly means to love God. And um, we were reminded that God loves our questions, that even when our questions doubt him, he still loves our questions because that means we're engaged with him. That means we're having a conversation with him. Um, And last week, we challenged everybody to ask those questions, to begin that conversation with who God is. And today is a very special day. I'm I'm very, it's it's right in my passion wheel, um, so to speak. And I think you'll probably see that today as we talk about what it truly means uh, to love family. And we're going to look at it from a couple different perspectives. Um, We're going to look at it, what it means as parents, as grandparents, what it truly means to love your family. Um, What does God have to say about that? What does God really um, have to say about a mom and a dad, a grandparent or a family coming around and what it means to love one another? But we're also going to look at it from a perspective perspective of what it means as the church to love family. Um, Because we're going to take a look at a man, one of my heroes in the Bible, um, who at a moment's time, and everybody glances over this, and I pray that you don't when we look in scripture at his life. But this individual for a moment, um, unlike many others, stood and recognized that time matters. He looked beyond his state. He looked beyond his circumstances, and he sacrificed his level of comfort for the future generations, being a great example to all of us of what it means to truly love family. If you're watching on live, we welcome you here. Um, We're glad that you're joining with us. We're going to open up our Bibles in just a second to the book of Nehemiah. And so you could do that in the house or you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. But in order to set this up, you see these marbles up here. And um, if you've been at this church a long time, you know that I'm fascinated with marbles. Uh, Many of you think I've lost my marbles, but they're right here. Um, It's okay. And The reason why I have marbles always laying around is uh, marbles represent one thing to me. They represent time. Um, And one marble um, specifically to me represents a week of time. Did you know that um, when you as parents, if you've had children, uh, that first day that you drive home, do you remember that day that you drove home? If it was your first child, it was the safest car trip you've ever had in your life. Um, you know, you made sure that you had the best car seat. You made sure you strapped them in. You made sure that you went half the speed limit all the way home with everyone honking behind you, but you didn't care because we are going to make it home because it's the most prized possession of our lives. If you have four children, you throw the kid in the back and you don't care if they're buckled in, you just speed on home. But time matters. That was the first week. Um, on average... In a parent's lifetime, a parent has 936 weeks from the time of birth all the way till they leave and go away to college. And I have an app on my phone. In fact, um, it partners with the curriculum that we use here at church. Um, it's called the Parent Q app. And on the Parent Q app, um, if you register with it, it takes a couple seconds as a parent, it'll freak you out because you can go ahead and customize it to let you know how many weeks you have left in the life of your kids at home. And this week, I happened to look at my son, Connor's. And so take a look at the picture here. That is Connor. And above it, it says 492 weeks left until he graduates and leaves home, which means, and freaked me out a little bit more, that um, half of his time at home is already gone in our lives. And that's scary when you really think about time. You know, the truth is time matters. 
And uh, if you don't get, if you want to take a nap in the next five minutes and, and let someone wake you up when we worship again at the end, that's fine. But if you want to leave with one principle is time matters. And what you do with your time has an eternal implication in the lives of others. Even if you don't believe in God, even if you question God, the truth is what you do with time affects other individuals for their lifetime. God in scripture talks about the fact that he numbers our days. Um, I'm going to die. Um, we all have that in common. We're all going to die. And the truth is, is that we all have different sets of days. And what we do with that time matters. And Nehemiah, who we're about to talk about, he understood that time matters. So if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Let me give you some context as we jump in here in just a second. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to a king in Persia. Um, If you don't know much about the Bible, basically the Jewish people, God's people, they were in Jerusalem. They were worshiping God. God was there with them. It was an incredible time. And then all of a sudden, because God's people took their eyes off of God and wanted to do what they wanted to do, sounds familiar with some of us, isn't it? They started doing their own thing and God warned them and God warned them, I'm going to take my hand of blessing off you. I'm going to take my hand of protection off of you. And sure enough, because the people of God would not listen to God, God's hand of protection went away and all of a sudden, Jerusalem was conquered. The Jewish people were scattered all across the different lands. And a guy by the name of Nehemiah ends up in a Persian palace with a King Arxerxes as the cupbearer to the king. Now, it's very important to understand and know what a cupbearer is. Cupbearer, their job was to take every cup that the king was going to drink from, and they were to drink it first. And if the cupbearer survived, it meant that the king could drink from it. So you can understand that the king needed a very trusted partner as cupbearer. Because if the cupbearer didn't like the king, he could fake it and easily give the king something poisonous to drink. So the cupbearer was known as the king's right hand. Very, very, very trusted individual. Very well taken care of. Living in the laps of luxury. Their life, they would have nothing in need. They would eat what they wanted. They would act like they wanted as long as it was respectful to the king. So it was a high position. So Nehemiah is standing here and all of a sudden he's going to hear a report about his people. And I want you to pay really close attention to what Nehemiah does through this. Nehemiah 1, 3 through 7. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. It's in Jerusalem. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. Nehemiah, in the laps of luxury, hears a report that the walls are continued burned down. The walls have been attempted to be rebuilt twice. It's been about a century or so of these walls being collapsed. And the Jewish people have been coming back to Jerusalem and been trying to resurrect the walls. Now, some of you who don't know the Bible say, well, Terry, why is that important? It's important because if the walls of Jerusalem are down, that means there's no protection. They needed the walls to be up so the Jewish people could be back in Jerusalem. And then for one reason and one reason only, so that the temple of God could be rebuilt so that God himself would be in the place with his people, that God's presence would be back with them. So the Jewish people for a long time are trying to get back to Jerusalem to raise the walls so that they could be with their God. And Nehemiah hears once again that the walls are burned and fallen to the ground. And so Nehemiah has a choice. 
He looks around him. He's got the king next to him. He's got the cupbearer. He's got a life worth living in very difficult times. But Nehemiah recognizes that the future generations of God's people are at stake. The next generation is at stake. And so Nehemiah is going to sacrifice the promise of tomorrow, sacrifice the promise of today, the comfort of today for the promise of tomorrow. In other words, he takes a look at the time that he has and says, you know what, God, one week in luxury is not worth losing a generation of God's people. And so he's willing to sacrifice everything. And in a moment, you're going to see Nehemiah is going to get permission. He's going to go back and he's going to decide that I'm going to help to rebuild the walls. You need to understand something that today the walls of the family are also broken. And I'm about to share with you some statistics about not only the family in America today, but the family in churches today. Statistics that you're not going to want to hear and you're going to want to say, well, that's not my family, so I don't need to pay attention. But the truth is, is that if God's people don't care about the state of the family, who will? And who will stand like a Nehemiah and say that time matters? If you're taking notes today, I want you to begin to write this down because I think it's very important. First thing I want to tell you is when you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time that you have now. When you recognize that your time is limited and that, yes, you can have all the routines, you can have the laps of luxury, you can have everything that you want, but at the end of the day, we're all going to die. And what you do with the time that you have here on earth matters to God. God wants all believers in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian in this room, God believes that time matters, and your time matters. And you have a responsibility as a believer in Christ to use your time so that it matters. And so you're about to be briefed about walls that are broken, not necessarily in Jerusalem, But here in the Grand Strand, I want you to pay really close attention to these stats. The Christian family today has many broken walls. This is from Barna Research Group, and I want you to pay really close attention. For years, pastors have been up here preaching and talking about family. And right off the bat, many of you sit there and say, oh, he's talking about a mom, a dad, and two biological children, or three biological children. That's the family. Did you know that in the 1960s, pastors were right? That is the traditional family, a mom, a dad, and two biological children. Today in 2018, guess what? That's no longer the traditional family. The traditional family now is the minority. Did you know this? That 23.5% of families consist of a mom and dad and two biological children. Only 23.5% of all families in the United States represent a mom and dad and two biological children, which means, and I just realized I'm talking really fast and it's got to be really hard for her to keep up with me. She doesn't know I'm talking about her right now. Let's just see how long she goes before she realizes she's not even paying attention. I mean, let's be honest. I'm just teasing. (laughs) She's going to get me back later. All right. That was not on my notes. Here we go. 23.5% of families are not the traditional family, which means over 76% of families are not considered the traditional family. That means single adults are families. That means single parents are families. That means blended families are families. If you're in this church and you feel embarrassed or you right away don't want to tell other individuals that you're divorced or that you're a single parent or that maybe you're a blended family because you're fearful of judgment from the church, hey, you are welcome here because you represent 76% of all families in America today. The minority is the traditional family. 
the church has to start thinking about that and has to start changing the way that they approach individuals that are considered family. Here's the thing that breaks my heart though. And I want to set this up. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, you need to lean into me really carefully. Did you know that today in America, it's getting better because of what churches are doing. But today in America, on average, if you are a parent and you have a preschooler, and let's say that you are a believer in Christ and you come to church on a consistent basis. The average Christian family comes to church 40 Sundays in a year. That's the average Christian family. So if you commit to be an average Christian family, I'm going to bring my kids and they're going to be in preschool ministry for 40 Sundays a year. Elementary for 40 Sundays a year. Middle school, 40 Sundays a year. High school, 40 Sundays a year. If you do that as a traditional Christian family, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, aren't you? I want to share a stat of the traditional Christian family and their kids. Did you know that if you do that and you bring your kids all the way up through high school, do you know the chance and the percentage of your kids who grew up in church leaving home and continuing to go to church? It's about 30%. Hear me again consistent Christian families who go to church and bring their kids to church, the average Christian family kid leaves church when they leave home. Seven out of ten teenagers, church teenagers, leave the church in their late teens and early 20s. If you didn't think the walls of the family are broken, I think I just got your attention. 84% of Christians 18 to 29 admit they have no idea how the Bible applies to their field or professional interests. Stop right there. That means our 18-year-olds who grow up in church, they go and get their first job. And when someone asks them, hey, how did your faith, how did church apply to you in your profession? They looked at the individual and said, well, really nothing. I didn't learn anything in church that really applies to my job today. That's scary. And when I see that, I go, God, forgive me as a leader in the church that on my watch we have students and kids growing up thinking that God has nothing to do with regards to their profession. Students are losing their faith before they reach college, citing the fact that no one is teaching them about faith, calling, and how they relate to today's culture. That means kids growing up in the church are saying when we go out to college, it really doesn't apply to our lives. What we're teaching in here really has nothing to do with our lives as 18 to 29 year olds. It means that we're irrelevant as the church. The church family today has many broken walls. Now, many of you are watching all different kinds of television stations. You've heard the term millennial. And now there, I think there are two different opinions in this room. You got some individuals who think of millennials and say, Terry, we got to do something because these millennials, you know, they're struggling and we got to really figure out how to reach them and connect with them and really make sure they understand their relationship with God. There's half the room in here who are fed up with the millennials and pick on the millennials and say, you know what? Grow up. Let's go get a job. That's what half the room wants to say. Here's the thing. Millennials matter to God. That means millennials should matter to the church. That means when I share these statistics about this younger generation, the church care. So I want you to see Barna Research Group just came out with this. One third of all millennials feel that the church is irrelevant, boring, judgmental, and out of date. When surveyed, they said, the church is not a place where I can find joy and peace and the secret to my life. Instead, they go, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocritical, judgmental individuals, and it is boring. Many of you right now are saying, not my church, so I'm going to go punch a millennial. No, don't do that. Instead, what we should be saying, God, help us. 
What do we have to do? How are we the first church to stand up and to say, we are not going to let that happen on our watch? Of those millennials, pay attention to this. 70 to 90% of those millennials feel that Christians are judgmental, hypocritical, and insensitive. That's the state of our walls. That's the state of the family. Many of you are really down right now. But we can't continue to play church. We can't continue to live in the palace. We can't continue to be comfortable with a life of luxury. We've just been brief that the walls of the church are broken. The walls of the family are broken. And we have a choice to make. We can either sit on our hands and do nothing. Or we can recognize like Nehemiah that every week matters in the life of the next generation. And we have a responsibility to step up. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Every family needs a strategy. Every family needs a strategy. So if you were to ask me, well, Terry, how did Nehemiah fix the walls in Jerusalem? Nehemiah employed a strategy that had never been employed before. And because of this strategy, he's going to do something incredible in such a short amount of time. Remember, over 100 years had gone by since the walls had been rebuilt. Over 100 years, over a century, God's people tried to rebuild the walls twice. And it didn't happen. Nehemiah is going to go to this place and employ a strategy that I'm going to really knock your socks off if you don't know the Bible and you see how fast Nehemiah was able to accomplish. And it's because of the strategy that we want to encourage you to accept today. Take a look at this. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 12 through 13, continuing on. The Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Nehemiah goes to the place. He starts to try and figure it out. And all of a sudden, all the Jewish people come and say, Nehemiah, I don't think this is going to work. Nehemiah, they're going to come and they're going to attack us. Nehemiah, what are we going to do? So watch what Nehemiah says. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guarded by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. You have to understand something. During these times when an enemy would attack, the men of God would stand up with weapons and they would fight. The women and children would be shielded in the background hoping that they would not get slaughtered. And Nehemiah figured something out. I'm going to spread my men and army around the walls of Jerusalem, but I'm going to tell them to take their families with them and stand side by side and they're going to fight together. And he reasoned this. If the family is together, the men of God will fight for their spouse, will fight for their children. They will have extra spirit and extra strength to fight against the enemy because it's so important. Because in front of their eyes is the next generation. Divided, the family falls. United, our walls will stand. That was the strategy that Nehemiah employed. And I want to share this with you. Lean in for just a second. As a church... We believe that for every family. We believe that divided you and your kids will fall, but united in partnering with the church, you will stand. Did you know this? I already shared. The average family comes for 40 hours. So if you're a mom and a dad or a grandparent and you bring your kid, on average, that means that 40 Sundays, 40 hours of influence is poured into your kids. And we already said this doesn't work, right? We already said that if the average church family, seven out of 10 kids leave and stop going to church, that's not a good strategy. If you're a teacher in the room, that's 30%. That's an F. 
But do you know how many hours of influence the family has? This is not time um, at bed when you're sleeping. This is morning time when you get up. This is when they get home and they're doing their homework. This is when you're around the dinner table. This is for the hour or two bath time and get ready for bed. Do you know how many hours of influence you as a family have to pour into your kid? Over 3,000. I don't have enough jars to fill the marbles in here. Over 3,000 hours of influence for the given family, which means this. That divided, if you think that you drop your kids off, if you drop your grandkids off and the church will fix them spiritually, your kid is going to grow up and leave church because they go to church and they're not the church. Because the church is not a building, the church are the people. But if you as a family say, Terry, I'm going to take some of my 3,000 hours. Grandparents, I know that time matters and I'm going to take many of those hours and I'm going to lean in and partner with what God's doing in the life of our kids and I'm going to make a difference for the generations. Did you know this, that in preschool ministry, we believe this, that if all the Bible stories every single week that we pour into kids, we want them to remember three things. And moms and dads, if you have a preschooler right now, let's do a test. If you're a preschool parent, Let me ask you a question. Do you know the three main things we want your kids to know before they leave preschool? I want you to think. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, that means you need to start partnering with us as a church because I know them by memory and you're looking at the screen. Thanks a lot, Max. God made me. God loves me. Jesus wants to be my friend forever and I didn't look at the screens. Those are the three things that every preschooler, we want them to grow up. Do you know why that's important? Do you know that by the, I'm going to go off script here for a second. Do you know that by sixth grade, here's the truth. By sixth grade, a teenager, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, when they turn a teenager, their moral compass has been set. Do you know what that means? For the first part of our lives, all of us, foundationally, we learn from what people say, what people do. Some of it good, some of it bad. We look at moms and dads. We say, ooh, why is this? Why, why? If you have a three-year-old, you know the question, why? Why, why? They're sponges. And so all the way up until they become a teenager, they want to learn, 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 learn. And then something happens right at the teenage years. And if you have a student, you know what I'm talking about. They stop talking to you, don't they? They stop asking you questions, don't they? They think they know everything. Do you want to know why? Because in their brains, they flip a switch. No longer are they wanting to be a sponge and learn. At that moment, their moral compass has been developed, which means that they think that they know the meaning of life by the age of 13. So parents, how important is it for our preschoolers and elementary age kids to understand that God matters? Because after the age of 13, everything they learn, it's a fight because they know more. Do you know in an elementary ministry, we believe in three things. We believe they need to know that they need to make a wise choice. We believe that they need to know that I can trust God no matter what. We believe that they need to treat others the way that they would want to be treated. And if our elementary kids can grow up understanding that that is the basic principles of our lives, we feel like we win. And if a mom and a dad every single week understands what we're teaching in there, and then during the week you take that and you say, hey, I heard that you're talking about Nehemiah this Sunday. What was the main thing that you know? And say, well, dad, I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, let's talk about it. Let's engage. Let's discuss. And maybe, just maybe you partner with one another. Here is something that I'm very passionate. If you haven't figured I'm passionate already, I'm very passionate about. Middle school. You think there's a swamp in D.C.? You want to know what a swamp is? Middle school. It smells like a swamp. Do you know this weekend we had middle schoolers and high schoolers, over a hundred of them. 
And I hear yesterday, I was running up in the tech booth and I sat and I watched over a hundred teenagers standing in front of this area with arms raised. I watched God touch their hearts for the very, very first time in an amazing way. And right after I saw that, you know what I shuddered to think? God, I pray for them because they're about to go home. And if something doesn't change at home, the seeds that have been planted are going to fall away. Because there are many parents here who think if I send them to Impact Weekend, then they will be fixed spiritually. If that's your plan as a parent, as a grandparent, you are going to lose. Because it's not our job to raise the kids spiritually. It's the parent's job. And we want to partner with you. Do you know this in middle school and high school? And if you don't care about family, you can take a nap. But if you care about family, you can pay really close attention. Do you know what we believe in middle school and high school? We believe if what they've learned doesn't make it from their head to their hands, it'll never penetrate their heart. I'm going to say that again. If what they've learned, if what we've been pouring in in preschool and elementary, if all the principles we've been pouring in doesn't make it from sitting in their brains to actually serving and being used of God, it will never be passionate for them in their heart, which means this. We're going to have a generation that goes to church instead of a generation that becomes the church. And if you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent in this room, you should want every one of your kids to be the church, not to just go to church. I'm going to make a statement, and I believe it, and some of you are going to be mad at me, but I don't care. We believe as a church that what happens at home, next slide, what happens at home is far more important than what happens at church. Because of the 3,000 hours of influence you have as a parent. Did you ever hear the song, Cats in the Cradle? How many of you are sitting here right now and you're saying, Terry, I wish I had my preschooler. I wish I had my elementary kid. I wish... I had my middle schooler. I wish I had my high schooler. How many of you in this room wish you could go back and use your time differently with your kids? Time matters. If anything, and we're going to get back to Nehemiah in a second, but if anything today, if you make any type of commitment today, I pray as a family that you will commit and as a church you will commit to a couple things. First, as a family, here's my question. Will you make a decision today that nothing is more important than your relationship with God? Nehemiah stood there and nothing was more important than his relationship with God. That's why he sacrificed where he was at and he went into the battlefield to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the question for every mom and dad is, is your routine more important than your kid's life? Because if you're a dad who comes in and you don't care about what your kid's learning, if on Sundays you sleep in, and I'm not talking about coming every week to church, but if you're not consistent in engaging your kids in spiritual conversations, then their relationship with God is not that important. So will you commit to know that, you know what, nothing's more important than my family's relationship with God. And secondly, will you partner with the church in the spiritual growth of your kids? We want to sit right here with you and we want to help you as best as we can. Because we want them to be the church. Church, guess what? A lot of you are sitting there going, amen, those parents. You parents need to wake up. You parents need to do your job. You parents need to help the next generation. Guess what? Church, if the church isn't the one to stand in the gap to come alongside the parents, we're going to lose a generation. So if you're sitting there today, church, here's my heart. My prayer is that you passionately agree to this that nothing is more important than your relationship with God. Church, that means this. Nothing's more important than someone's relationship with God. No preference. No song, style. No color on a wall. Nothing's more important than someone's relationship with God. And that's our primary mission, to help people to follow Jesus. And nothing will get in our way as a church to make that happen.
And the second thing I challenge our church with is this. Will you partner with the next generation and rebuild the walls of the church? Do millennials matter to you? Are they even on your radar? And if not, then there's a lot of things that are more important than someone's relationship with God to you. And I know I'm stepping on toes, but I think I have to. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Every family needs to fight. Every family needs to fight. Now, I told you in Nehemiah, Nehemiah stood there and the family stood side by side in the walls and the enemy came to attack. And you ever remember William Wallace? You remember Braveheart? And you remember him riding a horse in front of everybody, inspiring this small little group to fight? I can imagine Nehemiah's moment right there, looking at the walls of Jerusalem, understanding that time matters and the next generation's at stake. And I want you to see what Nehemiah says at the moment of battle. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives and fight for your homes. Because nothing's more important than your relationship with God. I'm closing in just a second. But I know what some of you are thinking in the balcony or watching online. Terry, you don't understand my home. You don't understand my situation. And you know what? I'd love to believe that. But you know what? It's just been too difficult and too hard. There's a single parent either watching online or in this audience right now. There's a single parent right now that is struggling believing that God cares for them. You want to know the... You want to know the greatest miracle? A single parent that survives in today's day and age. And I know you're out there and you're saying, Terry, this all sounds great, but you don't know my life. But you need to know. In the book of Genesis, there's a single parent named Hagar. She was at the end of her rope and she was sitting there watching her child die. You know, the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, leaned in at that moment and saved her son. That same God can save you and your family. There's a dad in this room. You've been inconsistent. You've been apathetic. You really don't care too much about church, but you're here. And in your mind, you're saying, Terry, I can't do a thing because I'm going to get judged because I know I'm not going to be consistent. I know I can't continue. My family will laugh at me because once again, I'll try and I'll fail and I'll get the judgment. You just have no idea. I just can't do it. I can't do it. You need to know something. You need to understand that there's a guy in in the Bible by the name of Moses in the book of Exodus. And he looked at God and said, God, you don't know me. I'm going to fail. I can't talk. I can't lead. I'm wanted for murder. There's no way that I can go back to these people. There's no way I can do what you're wanting me to do. And God said, I am, I am. I'm with you. And so God leaned into his life and he became the leader of God's people delivering them. There is a mom and dad in here today and you want kids. I know what that feels like. And you're struggling today because you're not able to have kids. And every time you hear in church a message about the family, it hurts. You need to know there's a man by the name of Manoah. And he and his wife tried to have kids over and over and they were at the point of destitute. An angel of the Lord in Jesus Christ leaned into their lives and blessed them with a child. God cares about your situation. There is someone here watching here or in this room You doubt who God is because you've heard it all before. 
You need to know that I read this this week. You need to know there was a man and a God by the name of Jesus Christ who leaned into this world, who sacrificed his life on a cross. And the people who celebrated him when he did miracles on earth, they spit on him while he was on the cross. And while he was on the cross and those same people were spinning on him, you know what Jesus said to them? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's because he loves you. He loves me. Nehemiah looked at the wall and said, fight. And I believe today in every family and in this church, God's leaning into you and he's got one simple question. Will you fight? Will you fight? Will you fight? Because the next generation is at stake. Would you pray with me? Father, right now, God, I believe that you're speaking to hearts. And God, I would love to see a movement of God's people. I'd love to see husbands and wives commit to their family. I'd love to see dads who are inconsistent say, I don't care if I get laughed at, I'm going to try. And if I fail, I'm going to try. And if I fail, I'm going to try. But I'm going to keep trying because nothing's more important than my kid's relationship with God. And so God, today, I pray that in the hearts of every person in this room, that you would have an action step in their heart, that they in turn would take a step of faith and that we would see the walls of the church rebuilt and the family and the next generation restored. So Father, in this moment, I pray that you would bless us as we sing and as we sing this song of commitment to you, may you change hearts and lives. We bless you today. And God, we sing your praises in your precious name that we pray. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.